Wilson McCoy and the College Hills. Uh, I'm at College Hills, and that's in Lebanon, Tennessee. It's right outside of Nashville, and I've been there for 12 years um, in an associate role. So I do preaching and teaching and young adults and life groups, and it's kind of like a snowball of responsibility. So the longer I'm there, the bigger the snowball gets, which I enjoy, and uh, it's a great place for me uh, and my wife. Jessica, uh, she is a marriage and family therapist and owns her own practice um, and does a lot of great work. Um, JessicaMcCoyCounseling.com, always like to give an advertisement for her. Uh, and that's our sweet daughter, Everly. She is three years old, and they are here. Um, but as I was telling some of you this morning, they did not try to get here at the start of class. Jessica said she would be here by the end of class to see some people that uh, she has not seen in a while. So. Um, we are having fun, to say the least, and climbing the mountains of Pepperdine is fun with two people, but trying to chase a three-year-old up and down these mountains is a whole nother thing. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a fun few days, and we're, um, we are glad to get to do this as a family. Let me start with a passage of Scripture. It's going to kind of guide our thoughts this morning, and then we'll pray, and I'll jump into what we're going to do. This is from Matthew 11 in the message. Are you tired, worn out? Burn out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share some of the things that you have been teaching me and the people in my congregation, and I pray that um, I could speak things that would be relevant and intersect the lives of the leaders in this room, and that maybe something that is said could help them personally or help them in ministry or help their congregation or places where they serve. So bless our morning, and we're grateful just for the opportunity to, to be able to gather and reflect and learn, and I pray that it would bring about transformation more uh, into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. All right, so what is this class all about? Um, as I mentioned earlier, my wife is a mental health professional, and it has been a really fun and interesting experience over the last decade that we've been married uh, to be in conversation with each other. You know, my training is in theology and have done degrees in that field, and her training is in the social sciences with therapy, and her expertise is in that field, and her graduate work is in that field. Um, and so what we've tried to do over the last 10 years is to try to combine our efforts when we can with our congregation and try to bring the world of theology and psychology uh, into conversation. And this class is one of a few different things that we've done. And so that's really what I want to do in our class today, is to try to bring together some theology with some psychology and hopefully um, can, can bring about something that's constructive in nature. Um, because I'm increasingly convinced that the world of mental health and the life of the church need to be in greater conversation. And so this is basically a slice, a very small slice, of a much larger pie that, that hopefully um, this conversation can prompt others. Um, and so what I want to do over the next 40 minutes um, is to try to get to five things and talk about what does overwhelm look like, 
Uh, number two, what are the reasons for overwhelm? What are the ripple effects of overwhelm? Why does this matter for people of faith? And what might be some faithful responses? Um, I may have bit off more than I can chew, but we'll find out. So we're going to try to move through these quickly. But if you have been in my classes before, I don't really like to be straight lecture mode. So there's going to be some times where I would like for you to, to speak up or speak into some questions. Um, because I do believe that I bring some stuff to the table. But the other assumption that I bring in classes is that you bring stuff to the table as well and so you bring wisdom and experiences and insight um, and so bring those at different times throughout today's class um, so let's let's jump right into it uh, and let's talk a little bit about what does overwhelm look like now i have been known for i don't know how you would describe my humor but um sometimes it's a bit dry so let's do some cartoons today just to kind of uh, loosen us up this morning this might be what overwhelm looks like. Are you solving a murder? No, I'm sorting out my kids' summer schedule. So uh, for the parents in the room, this may resonate with you as to what overwhelm might look like uh, in your life. So let me ask a question kind of to get us started in a little conversation. Imagine if you had an index card in front of you and a pen and it was a blank sheet of paper and you had to draw overwhelm. what do you think you would draw? What image would you draw to sum up what you think overwhelm looks like? Maybe not in your life, but maybe in the life of a friend you have. Okay, so kind of like Linus around his head and peanuts. Yeah, yeah kind of crazy. Okay. Okay, so chaos, kind of this. Okay, that's interesting. Why would you do that? Because it's Kind of billows, grows like a cloud. Okay, thank you. Michelle, right? Michelle. Okay, good. Um, anybody else, what would you draw? I don't like exercise where you have to draw things because I'm more of a word person, so I like to do, I like to assign other people tasks that I don't like. So what might you draw if you had to blank sheet of paper? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of this frayed hair look, deer in the headlights. And if you notice the way that we're describing these images, it's probably pulling in some other images that you might um, use. Here's a couple pictures you might. For some of us, this might be what overwhelm looks like. Uh, that may resonate with you. Uh, this may be how overwhelm looks like or feels like for you. Uh, and then my personal favorite, my brain has too many tabs open. Um, the point is, is that overwhelm can look like a lot of different things in our life. But what I want to do is I want to offer kind of one image for us this morning that I think is really helpful. This image comes from the Responder Alliance. And before I show it, just kind of give you a little history. Um, what this is called, and there's different versions of this, I'm just pulling one. Um, is what is sometimes called the stress continuum. Um, The stress continuum was first created by the U.S. Marine Corps in combat settings. Often, it was used as a snapshot for how soldiers were managing stress in combat situations. And it's now been applied to a variety of settings, including firefighters, they call it the the stressed first aid, law enforcement, and more recently, uh, it's been adopted and adapted by others. 
um, and it's currently being used in such programs as Outward Bound and the National Park Service. Now the continuum is to be used primarily as a self-assessment tool uh, to provide those who um, have been impacted by a single incident or cumulative distress, stress to detect early and late changing reactions caused by overwhelming stress. So this is something that is used for first responders for them to describe kind of where they are at in their stress continuum. Uh, instead of saying the universal I'm fine, <laughs> you can kind of use this and why this is helpful for a lot of people. It's not just words, but it's also colors. And there's some videos that, that I've shown before where it talks about some responders who they can't quite find the word, but they can name the color that they're feeling. And so this is kind of a good way for some of those who may not be as um, well-versed in emotions and describing how they're feeling, maybe to name it with a color. Um, and one of the, the things that's most helpful about this particular stress continuum is it names the dynamic of occupational stress. Um, it's common and predictable uh, to move towards the end, the red, in times of unrelenting pressure, task saturation, and acute traumatic ex stress exposure and exhaustion. Um, and it allows rescuers to name that experience. Um, what I really find, about the, find helpful about this is uh, what I'm guessing is even though not all of us in here, although some of us may be first responders, I'm guessing if we went around the room, you probably would be able to like name one of the words or colors that you feel. Um, I don't know about everyone in here, but I know a lot of us in here are in ministry, and that is in a lot of ways a kind of first response to some really traumatic and stressful situations. And I think this is helpful for church ministers, but I think this is helpful for uh, people in our churches in general, that's been my experience, giving them colors and words and language to what they are experiencing. And so again, there's different versions of this, but I like the stress continuum um, as, a, as a helpful chart because it describes, I think, what often happens where we begin with healthy levels of stress, but when that stress is untreated or that stress compresses, then it gets to a place of overwhelm. Uh, there's a man in our congregation, he has four sons who are probably ages 6 to 16, and he came to the Wednesday night class last fall that we did, and I gave this out as a bookmark for everyone to take with them, and he hung it on their refrigerator, and for the eight weeks that he was in the class, like every night he would gather his boys around the table, and he would just say, hey, where are y'all at? Uh, what color are you at? What words are resonating with you? And this chart became a really helpful way for that group of guys whose mother at the time was really sick to talk about where they were. Are you in a green place? Are you moving yellow, orange, or red? And so to me, this is a really helpful image uh, for how we think about stress and how we think about overwhelm because, uh, and I want to say this, stress is normal. Stress isn't bad. Stress is this good, healthy human response to things. Um, stress can be you know, a good motivator, and it can be a healthy, normal part of our existence. But what I'm talking about is when it kind of snowballs into something that can be more toxic and dangerous and unhealthy. Um, and, and when that happens, all kinds of things can happen to our body and physically, emotionally. Um, and so by having a, a chart to describe where we're at, um, I think it provides a, a couple of things. Number one, I think that it... Um, helps us normalize that overwhelm is something that we'll experience at some point. 
Um, because sometimes we make choices that move us into the red, and then sometimes just thing ha- things happen to us uh, that move us in the red. Um, but, uh, but a phrase that my wife and I talk about a lot is, if you can name it, you can tame it. Um, that's not foolproof, but it definitely increases your chances of taming whatever it is that you're experiencing if you can actually have language for it, whether that language is a color or whether that language is a word. So that's kind of the initial image I want to offer you as we think about stress and overwhelm. Now, big part two, Um, what are the reasons for overwhelm? I know what you're thinking, Wilson, show more cartoons. Well, you're in luck. I'm going to show a couple more cartoons. Uh, Here's a cartoon. Two men on a deserted island and says at the bottom, on the plus side, we won't have access to the news for the next four years. So for some of us, maybe the the local news or that 24-hour news cycle is the thing that that brings about stress in our life. Uh, One more. Hey, everybody's getting together after work to do some more work. Are you in? Uh, So for some of those of us who may not do well with boundaries, kind of that constant workload, may be the reason for it. Um, I had a really good uh, scene with Steve Martin in it that I know you're sad I'm not going to share, but I don't know uh, for the sake of time if this is going to work or if the sound is going to work. So um, what I want to do is I want to jump ahead and I want to kind of ask you, um, kind of off the top of the head, uh, off the top of your head, you in your own personal life, what are some of the, the causes for stress that can easily become overwhelmed? What are those things for you that, that you know when this is going to happen, this is going to kind of start pushing me into the yellow, orange, and maybe even red? Maybe some choices you make or things that are going to happen to you. What, what causes it for you in your life? Four teenagers at a time. Okay. How many? Four. Okay, four. God bless you. Uh, yeah, four teenagers. Uh, for me, it's lack of sleep. I know if I don't get enough sleep, then uh, Wilson's going to start going from yellow to red to orange very quickly. So that's, that's one thing for me. Uh, somebody else, kind of what do you know? If this happens to me or if I make this choice, I'm going to start moving into that red area. I oversleep. Oversleep, okay. Because yeah. your schedule gets off? <laughs> or lack of sleep. Is it because your schedule gets off? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then just you wake up with that. And then it's like, oh, go. Yeah, we're going to come back to that in a, when we talk about some, I think, faithful responses. Anybody else, maybe one or two? What is it for you? I may be saying this in reverse of what you're asking, but if I deal with an issue that's unresolved by the time I go to bed, then it's more than likely I will be up between 2 and 3 a.m. <laughs> yes. No, that's really good. Yeah, um, I didn't think of that, but I laugh because I love I love staying awake at two to four. It's a great time uh, <laughs> just to think about things, and I I always make my best decisions during that time. Uh, what's What's funny about me is like I'm up at three thirty, and I realize. Wilson, nothing that you're thinking right now is good. Like, these are not good decisions or choices or things you should say in those conversations. And yet I still stay up and I think about, no, let's just think about one more thing. Uh, And then I get up the next morning, I'm like, no, those were terrible ideas. Please don't do anything that you decide. Yeah, so you go to bed and you don't have something resolved 
and it kind of lingers with you uh, into into the middle of the night. Maybe one more. What is it for you that causes this? Stress, overwhelm, starts pushing you towards the red. For me, it's, uh, most of the time it's probably self-inflicted, putting too many things in my schedule. Okay. And I notice it goes probably from the, more from the ready to the, the reacting. Oh, yeah. Some of the symptoms I saw there, that's where it starts kind of leading me. And, uh, but I realize it's self-inflicted. That's the hard part. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Looking at the top, from ready to reacting, and um, yeah. Even this, like, if I get in here, I can easily get into orange. So yeah. Thank you for bringing those those words back. Um, there's a lady by the name of Laura Lipsky, and I'm going to give you her name spelt out in a couple of quotes later. Um, and I'm drawing off some of her work for this class. She wrote a book called The Age of Overwhelm, um, and she comes at it through more of a um, mental health perspective, but she gives eight causes of overwhelm in her book that I find really helpful and universal for not just my own personal experiences, but the men and women that I work with. These seem to resonate with them as we kind of talk through these a couple Wednesday nights. So um, number one, um, one that is thankfully being talked about more, but that's just general trauma that, that people experience, emotional responses to difficult and terrible events. Um, and sometimes those are significant traumas, and sometimes those are small traumas that accumulate, uh, but those unaddressed will and can often build up into overwhelm. Um, our general health, maybe that's a health concern that can elicit feelings of overwhelm, uh, but sometimes it's our health choices that we make, like I said earlier, like lack of sleep, not the, the healthiest thing over the long haul, and so that can, that can be a cause family or community of origin. I like this quote from Jack Cornfield. There's a reason they call it a nuclear family, uh, which I think is true for some of us. We think about our family or our community of origin. Um, we might think of those um, circles of nurture, nature, and then neighborhood, our neighborhoods that we grow up in, whether that's a literal neighborhood or kind of a figurative neighborhood. Those can be causes of stress. Sometimes it's how those people in those dynamics make us feel. Uh, things they say or do that can be stressful, um, but it may just be things that were given to us in how we handle stress and overwhelm. Um, school can be an opportunity for a lot of good, but can also be the breeding ground for competition and intimidation and discrimination. Our places of work, as we've already alluded to, can give us a sense of purpose, uh, but also can give us a lot of other <laughs> stressful uh, experiences. Um, economic stressors, world events, and the 24-hour news cycle. And, and then finally, I like to use one big, big fancy word in every class I teach, and so this is it. Um, epigenetic, which is an emerging field of science uh, that is showing how environmental factors um, don't just affect an individual's physical state, but also can impact our DNA not just of ourselves, but of subsequent generations. In other words, there are things that we can inherit bodily from those before us that may give us a propensity to be more stressed and overwhelmed or um, to not know how to handle or how to handle those things. That sometimes those things can be uh, baked into us in more ways than we realize. So I just wanted to, to touch on those quickly to kind of hopefully maybe spark your imagination some about what it call what causes it for you, but also 
uh, maybe some of the stuff that you see in the life of your congregation or the life of the places where you work. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about ripple effects for about three or four minutes, and then I want to start making a turn to uh, why does this matter for people of faith and maybe what are some faithful responses. Uh, another quick cartoon just to keep, keep the mood light. Uh, it says at the bottom, you come home to find me eating beans from a giant can. How do you think my day went? So, a uh, husband and wife at the end of the day, and um, for this lady in particular, a large can of beans is the way that she is, is kind of dealing with that. Um, and I know myself included, maybe some of that stress eating tendency uh, happens in, in my life. Um, this is the name that I mentioned earlier, Lauren Lipsky, that I would recommend. Um, she makes this connection between overwhelm and grief that I find really helpful. Uh, the effects of being overwhelmed are most often not linear, and this can add to the challenges that accompany being overwhelmed in the first place. Grief, like a series of waves, is not, our, not in our individual control. It doesn't typically follow a pattern of ups and downs in equal measure. Big waves may be followed by a series of smaller waves, but the rogue waves are still out there. Never turn your back on the ocean. Um, I really like this quote because, you know, for those of us who are aware of the different stages of grief, one of the things that you learn early about the stages of grief is that they, they aren't linear, uh, that they kind of can come in different moments in different ways unexpectedly. Um, and I think that's a helpful way for us to think about stress and overwhelm, uh, that stress isn't linear. You know, we, we talk about getting blindsided. Uh, we, we talk about that phone call that we never expected. We talk about those events that we were, were never planning for. And I think that there's a helpful uh, a parallel for us to, to use that grief template to think about overwhelm in that the stresses that we face and the ways in which we do and don't handle stress, we can sometimes kind of like set up our fortress. Uh, and we can sometimes build a foundation to use imagery from, from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But inevitably, there's going to be those storms. There's going to be those waves that hit us that we maybe sometimes can't anticipate, but often uh, that we can't anticipate. Um, and so just kind of being aware. I like that last line, never turn your back on the ocean. And we're going to talk about this later, but I, I love that kind of closing image of just kind of keeping an awareness of where we're at emotionally, physically, spiritually, as we navigate through our various positions in life or very lead, various leadership positions uh, in the church, uh, for us to, to cultivate that awareness of where we are on that stress, spectr stress spectrum, to use that opening image, um, just to kind of give us a little sense of where am I in this moment, kind of like a daily check-in of sorts. Um, the other quote from Lauren that I really appreciate uh, is she talks about these three compromised states. When we are not purposeful in circumventing or tending to overwhelm and we become saturated, we increase our susceptibility to compromised states, including, but not limited to, being, and she has three big ones that I particularly appreciate, being distracted, being disconnected, and being depleted. The more saturated we are, the more we fall into these patterns. 
the more we fall into these patterns, the more saturated we become. Um, just for a second, kind of to pause here on this quote to linger over it. Um, why, why do you think she calls them compromised states? I think that's a really interesting way she describes these, compromised states. Yeah. Yeah, to use that image of a foundation, there's something that um, you kind of lose some of your foundation. You're kind of on, you know, to use another image, you're on shaky ground, right? Talking about images earlier. Yeah, and I appreciate you using that, Paul, because um, as you were thinking about it, like we know, you shouldn't use your cell phone and drive, but yet we've also kind of been conditioned in our world to be productive and always be responsive and to text back immediately or call back immediately. And some of us may feel that pressure more than others. And yet we all know that's not a really good way to live. And I think it's, we, we are sometimes being placed into situations where we are being compromised and kind of being told, well, that's just kind of the way that you should live, but it's actually not the healthiest, most whole and holy way for us to live. And so we get into these places and we're like, of course you shouldn't text and drive because you're compromised and you could do something bad to yourself or others. Um, and yet when it comes to things like distraction and disconnection and depletion, uh, those can show up in a lot of other ways in our life that are equally as destructive and not just to ourselves but to others so yeah thank you that's a really good um image to use anybody else based on what paul said or just kind of my reflections the, this idea of these three states being compromised states Yeah. But um, yeah, when you think about it as compromise, I think it assumes that's what the natural state is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, um, often that's not where we tend to live. Yeah, and that's why I like it. Thanks for saying that, Ben. That's why I like it because it makes me think about, it makes me ask that question well, what is that normal and healthy state? So if this is compromised, if this is me not at my best, then what would it look like for me uh, to be at a healthier, more grounded um, um, uncompromised. I just went blank on the opposite of compromised, but uh, an uncompromised state. Uh, and the other word she uses here is this idea of saturated. Uh, and I can't help but think of like a sponge that like you dip it in water and you pull it up out of the water and it just can't hold anymore. And I think that's a really another powerful image or word to describe that, you know, when you're in an unhealthy place it's a lot more easy to keep doing those unhealthy things and trying to find ways to kind of break out of that never-ending loop to kind of step back ask those questions like what is the normal state or like is this really the way that that I should be living is this um, not just me at my best but is this how God wants me to live 
um, in, in those ways. So yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, let me, because I would like to have a little conversation at the end, uh, let me go ahead and start making the turn towards why does this matter for people of faith. Now I want to say again what I said at the beginning. Uh, I'm increasingly convinced of the need for our churches to try to figure out how theology and mental health, theology and psychology can, can intersect. Um, I still feel very much um, an amateur in that, but I'm trying to figure out ways that, that we can bring these two fields into conversation because I really do feel like in the lives of our congregations, um, having conversations, I'm just basing on last fall when I taught this class, giving people space in our, our congregations to begin to name some of those things that overwhelm them or name some of the things that move them from, from yellow to red. Um, it was really interesting in that class. We had a, a variety of different kinds of people, some people who were very tuned in to their emotions and what was happening in their world, and they could use really articulate, articulate language ironic that I stumbled through that, to, to, to name where they were at. But then you have some people who they're like, I don't know, but I know that I'm feeling orange today. Um, and some people that I just never would have expected. But they, they could figure that part out. And so giving them the space really began to facilitate uh, some really refreshing conversations in the life of our congregation to just allow people to say, yeah, maybe this whole stress to overwhelm thing is not actually working and is not actually the way that God wants us to live. And so let's begin talking about, you know, some of those causes, some of those things. And so I just think that's a kind of a general point. Why does this matter for people of faith? Because I think things related to mental health um, should matter significantly uh, to people of faith. But let me give kind of three quick reasons. Uh, number one, internal overwhelm feeds external overwhelm. It's one of my favorite passages in James. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You know, you've got all these nuggets of wisdom in James, and I love this one because it, it always causes me to kind of go back to my internal motives. You know, I'm mad at them. What's wrong with them? Why are they always a problem to me? And James kind of pushes me inside to say, okay, what are you bringing to this? Like, what's going on in your heart uh, and in your own internal landscape that would cause you to maybe create the same problem for them uh, that you are blaming them for? Um, and, and that ability for me to name that internal overwhelm and deal with my inner work does, when it goes well, and it doesn't always go well, because uh, I still have a lot of stuff to work on, but I typically have found that that impacts kind of my external landscape as well. The, the relationships that I have with others, um, my responsiveness, not my reactivity, and for me, I'm always trying to like come back to see what I can own in this situation and what's going on um, inside of me before I'm quick to blame what's going on with them. Um, sometimes we have that internal overwhelm and so we end up creating external overwhelm, not just in our life, uh, but in the life of others. So these aren't in order of importance, these are just kind of three observations. 
Going back to our earlier quote, um, I'm increasingly convinced the way of Jesus is not the way of overwhelm. I love this translation in the message, and I want to read it again just because I think it, it just speaks powerfully to, to what Jesus calls us to. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I just think this is a really beautiful um, paraphrase of what Jesus says there that I think you know, calls us back to some of those foundational things about following Jesus that, that we can sometimes forget. And I just think this is a beautiful picture of the life that Jesus calls us to um, and reminds us that maybe some of the things that we have been told or sold about the way of Jesus that have led us to become more stressed and overwhelmed, maybe those aren't true to the heart of of who he is or who he's calling us to be. And so calling us back to this, to this light, graceful path, I think, is just a good reminder. Uh, and then finally, I would say that overwhelm robs us, robs us of our calling to image-bearing. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So one of the first things that we see God doing is forming and shaping creation. And as you keep following this creation account, he's going to form men and women in his image, all of humanity creating the image of God. And so that calling for us to be men and women who reflect the image of God. Um, so often our lives kind of move in the direction of chaos, but what do we see God doing at the beginning of the story of Scripture is bringing order out of chaos. And I think there's something about that ordering and that shaping uh, that gives us directions for kind of the kinds of people we're called to be. Not to be people who get kind of caught up and swept under into the, the waters of chaos, so to speak, but who bring order out of that. And the more that we kind of get pulled into uh, the formless voids of our lives, so to speak, I think the harder it is for us to live into our calling to be image bearers, to be men and women who reflect the image of God. And so I think uh, when we get caught up in overwhelm, it pulls us away from, from our, some of our primary vocations um, as men and women of faith. Um, really quickly, anything about these that you want to comment on before we kind of make the final turn to um, some maybe practical so what kinds of stuff? Anything that I've said or maybe things that you would add about other reasons why you think this might matter for you or for the life of your congregation? Okay. Mm. So to say, you know, you, you give it over to him and you have faith that it's going to work out as it should. Yeah. He kind of takes that burden of overwhelm from you. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, which again, as 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 Christians, as people of faith, um, that's why I want to talk about this from a faith perspective because I don't want it to just be about well, I'm doing my work on my own as this kind of isolated individual, but but also with this dependency on and this um, you know co-partnering with Jesus that we're doing this with someone, and that's kind of this also important point into what we think. Yeah, Paul. Tendency of us as humans is to figure out the way that it should be and ask God to bless that way mm-hmm. and question Him when He doesn't see it that way. So often demonstrated in health concerns. Yeah. You know, we, we think there's no reason this person should die at this age or under these circumstances. Yeah, trying to be. Um, and I kind of walk this this line uh, with a lot of um, sensitivity, um, and, and we talked about this a lot in, in the class, but there are situations and things that happen to us uh, that we can't do anything about that send us into overwhelm, and so we need to find ways to name those things in order to get back to healthier places. So there's that part of it, and then there is this other part that you're getting at, which is sometimes we make decisions and do things that push us into that way of overwhelm and trying to, to own those on the front end. And so there's, you know, there's, there's ways in which all along that spectrum of what can I do preventatively on the front end to make sure that I don't get into the red. And then sometimes life happens and we're thrown into the red and it's like, how can I find ways to move back to a healthier, holier, more peaceful way? Uh, but yeah, on that other side of things, yes, there are, are things that we sometimes choose to do and we just say, God bless this, and we go full steam of head, and then we find ourselves in a place that's like, uh-oh, um, this is chaotic, this is not what I should have done. So I just want to like name both sides of that, but thank you for naming that side of, yeah, sometimes we make choices that push us into that. Yes, sir? It's interesting in the message translation, watch how I do it, and Jesus certainly looks like he was overwhelmed a lot. In fact, his family thought he was in need of a rest at mm-hmm. that point because he was so busy. So maybe it's not busyness mm-hmm. or having lots of activities. I'm not sure I've really understood that. Like overwhelmed anxiety or are we talking about burnout? Um, you know, just higher levels of stress. You know, if I know more like what that means and I can understand a little bit better about these passages it certainly seems like Jesus had an easy way of handling mm-hmm. activities he dealt with, but he got tired, he did rest, and he took care of that. Yeah. So, you know, maybe that's, are we just talking about anxiety, or are we talking about, about simply burnout? Yeah, no, and again, kind of um, how we name these things, I think, and how we label them is really, really important. I'm using overwhelm uh, kind of as this kind of all-inclusive term, kind of this tent canopy, and under it I see things like burnout. Um, I see things like um, anxiety that is not, you know, managed or it kind of gets out of control or a variety of other um Emotional issues that just kind of run wild in our life without, you know, therapy, medication, other things to try to get us into place. So kind of out of control impulses, those those desires that we let run wild. Um, I would include under overwhelm 
Um, other compromised states, you know, Lipsky talks about disconnection and depletion uh, and distraction. So I would put those under there, but I'm sure we could name some other things um, that, that for me, like there's a lot of things we could put under that. Um, and I think when they push us into a place where um, it's kind of overwhelm unhinged and we find no ways to get back to a more grounded, um, peaceful place, I don't think that we're supposed to like live in the red, <laughs> right? Like I don't think that's the way that God has created us to be. I think we will find ways and things happen that will push us there. Uh, but what I want to be curious about is, well, is that really where we should be all of the time? And when we do find ourselves in those places, whether as um, leaders in our churches or whether as people who are just going through life, I don't want anyone in my congregation to live in the red. So what can we do? Um, now, what's the other canopy of that healthy place? I would use words like healthy, holy, grounded, um, peaceful. Like, so there's this other place that I want to call myself to first and then hopefully call others in my congregation. Does that, what do you think of that distinction? Sure, yeah, it's great. Okay. Um, but yeah, not to, um, not to, to allow myself to live or exist in a place where uh, I become so, my internal toxicity becomes this kind of thing. Because whether it's conflict in churches or whether it's conflict in a marriage or whether it is... Um, somebody who just kind of feels like there's always a major crisis in their world, um, I don't think that those are the ways in which we should live and exist long term. So, so what can we do to get back to a healthy, holy, grounded place? Um, that to me is kind of like square one I want to try to bring people back to. Um, anybody else kind of, that's, that's a hopeful kind of distinction. Anybody else want to respond to that? I'm not going to shoot this rubber band at you. Um, I think that last thing you said was about um, like modeling this yourself. Um, in part, that the hope that the congregation will come along with you into a more, a less overwhelmed uh, spirit. I think that's so important because you know I'm listening. I'm thinking uh, we joked at Highland like the, the primary challenge for discipleship at Highland is kids' competitive soccer, yeah, and. Um, and, you know, what we mean by that is the busyness people feel. But really, you've helped me to articulate, it's not so much the busyness, as my brother back there pointed out, but like the, the emotional toll of that mm -hmm. um, in life and that feeling of overwhelm. And so, but of course, to, to kind of encourage or invite people into something else, I've got to pay attention to what's going on in here mm -hmm. in my own overwhelm. And I, I think about all the times I've been overwhelmed even recently that... Um, like surely that's coming through in my ministry when when I'm that way, you know. Like, how could they not sense that in my preaching, in right? My pastoral visits, if that's the spirit I'm in, and I want them to sense something else. Yeah. Anyways, that and it and to that, I'm sorry to interrupt here, but to that, you know, as I was thinking through, kind of transitioning from 
classes that I had in my congregation, you'll just take one pass it back, classes in my congregation versus like this dynamic, I'm, I'm kind of making the assumption that all are church leaders of some kind. And so I think that's my, kind of where I'm trying to lean in for us, and maybe I should have put a finer point on that, of we model certain things. So what are we modeling? Well, look, I think that, I mean, it, yeah. applies, it applies to parenting and, you know, in my classroom of three-year-olds, too. Um, you know, if, if I'm not managing myself, mm-hmm. you know, you see that reflected in, you know, the, the child's behavior, whether it's my own child or another child that I'm working with. Um, I mean, we see it in, in our congregations. That's exactly right. But I think any sort of relationship uh, that we're in, yeah. um, you know, if I raise my voice, this other person is going to raise their voice and mm-hmm. it's just going to continue until someone's able to manage it. And I just want to, I mean, I keep coming back to the question, and I've reflected on this more as I've talked to my wife about this, but it's like, is this, whatever this is, fill in the blank, is X, is this the way that, like, God wants us to live? Like, is this the life that God wants us to to live in this world? And, you know, we could fill in a lot of the blanks for whatever this is. Um, but I found, that, I found that question to be really helpful for me, thinking about, um, is this the way that Jesus calls me to live in this situation or in this congregation or wherever I find myself? Um, I just want to kind of give this as something to take with you. Uh, I like to give away swag, and so this is your swag that you get to take with you. Um, and it serves as a, maybe a helpful bookmark. Uh, or something to put your gum in. I don't know what you're going to do with it. But um, this is kind of maybe to spark your imagination a little bit about faithful responses. Um, the top ten are what I'm calling ten healthy habits during overwhelm, uh, which is finding ways to connect with your mind and body, um, kind of getting a sense of where we are and kind of naming and feeling the particular place that we're in, Um, fasting and filling, meaning removing things from our life that are causing overwhelm and filling things in our life that can help move us towards that green more godly grounded place moving your body and again bringing in social sciences and other fields into this just the the helpfulness of of moving your body of sleeping of being outside of being with animals of being with an art or a craft laughter community and then daily examine which is simply asking the question way I phrase it, what is life giving today and what is life taking today, trying to shape our world in such a way that it's more life taking, I mean, excuse me, life giving. Um, Seven ways to close your stress cycle. A stress cycle is basically, you know, our bodies get stressed and that happens, but our body reacts the same to someone almost hitting us in the car our body knows no difference between that and a bear chasing us. Our bodies react the exact same way. So we have to find ways in which to kind of let our body know and let our, um, uh, yeah, let our bodies know that we can kind of like, we're at a place of safety and we're at a place of peace and teach our bodies that. And so one way to say that is closing your stress cycle. So things like physical activity, Things like deep breathing, things like positive social interaction, things like laughter, things like affection, specifically a 20-second hug, which sounds like a long time, but is actually uh, a proven way to kind of tell your body, I'm safe again, right? To to hold someone uh, for for 20 seconds. 
crying creative expression. These can be ways that you tell your body, okay, that stress is done. Like we can close that stress cycle and we can go back into our normal ways of living. Um, uh, and then finally, and this is from my wife, uh, what's called a 54321 exercise she does with her clients where she um, helps them connect with their mind and body by doing five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. It's like a way to ground us and bring us into like the present moment um, instead of tossed and turned like overwhelmed so often does. So just a few different ideas on here that maybe can begin to spark your imagination about what it might look like for, for you to be faithful in overwhelm and before overwhelm. Um, but thank you all so much for your time. Again, my name is Wilson McCoy. Um, if you want to talk more, I'm happy to chat. Um, or if you just want to look at my cute daughter, she's in the back by the door. Um, let me pray for you all, and then we'll be done. God, thank you so much for today. I'm grateful for these men and women of faith and how they're leading, and I pray your blessing on them and blessing on the rest of their time here at Pepperdine. Um, continue to, to work on us and shape us into the kinds of people that you want us to be and give us wisdom to know uh, what that looks like. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great week.